You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past. Let's begin. Let's begin. June 15th, 1949. Virginia Stewart's very first letter to Ray Hertz. Mailed from Oakland, California. Dear Ray, well, it's only been an hour since you left, and here I am, writing already. I didn't think I'd start this so soon, but I guess I'm just lonesome and want somebody to talk to. I hope you are proud of me because I didn't cry. I guess I didn't realize you were really going until I got outside. Then as soon as I got in the car and saw that you weren't there, I really made up for lost time. I feel fine now, and I know that most tears are because I'm so happy, and I really am. I have to get my beauty sleep, so good night, love, Virginia. Ray Hertz's first letter to Virginia Stewart, written on June 16, 1949, in Bucks Creek Ranger Station, up in Modoc County, which is way up in the northeast corner of California. Dear Virginia, well, how is my cute little gal today? Feeling great, I hope. I'm pretty darn tired, but nothing that a good night's sleep can't cure. We pulled into Alturas this noon at 12.50. By 2 o'clock, they had me working already, which was dirty of them, wasn't it? I thought I could at least have the afternoon free, but such is life. The forestry department has a district warehouse in Alturas where they keep the fire equipment. A lot of the tools have to be reconditioned, so they sent me over there for the afternoon and all day tomorrow. Fire season officially opens tomorrow. Well, sweet, how did everything go after I left last night? I sure hated to leave you after what we talked about. Everything will work out. Agree? Write and tell me what you did after I left. Did you go right home? Well, honey, enough on news and reminiscing. I think it would be best if I would get a little sleep. Say hello to your folks for me. All my love, Ray. Yeah, just me going through a recent divorce and like finding myself and, and, and finding a new relationship. Yeah, and finding our relationship. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much you've said, but you know, our relationship was strained. Mm-hmm. I'll say for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, heavily strained. Mm-hmm. Um, Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can we can get to yeah. that. We can yeah. get to that. Let's let's yeah. let's not jump ahead. Um, so you know, all I'll say before I kind of start asking questions is sometimes when I'm working on a story, I have like a very clear idea of what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this mm-hmm. historical event happened, and I'm trying to tell the story, and I'll interview okay. the main people, and blah blah blah, and we'll get the narrative. With this, um, you approached me, and I just thought it was a sweet concept, the idea mm-hmm. of finding these letters and yeah. having this. <laughs> posthumous relationship mm-hmm. with your grandparents and everything yeah. like that and so I, told, I wasn't even sure how to how it would become a story i just 
I'm still not sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll talk like today and see yeah. what comes out of it, and then uh, talk to to Carl and Jerry, I guess, too, yeah. at some point. And you know, it's hard to talk about love without using cliches, for a couple reasons. First. So much has already been said on the topic. Almost every movie, novel, lots of songs have a love story in there somewhere. Another reason is because even though love sometimes feels excruciatingly complex, other times it's so simple. Like there's this hurricane of emotions, but at its core, at the eye of the storm, everything is perfectly balanced harmonious, just really, really good, beyond good, pure happiness. And even though that perfect feeling can never last forever, I mean, we all go through ups and downs, it is possible to capture it and transmit that energy across time and space, down through generations. And that's exactly what today's episode is all about. How a love that was first ignited more than 70 years ago was unexpectedly reignited, and what happened when those flames began to spread. What you're about to hear is the love story of Ray Hertz and Virginia Stewart, as told by their son, Mark Hertz, and their granddaughter, Ossie Holcomb. Ray and Virginia, or Ginny, as she liked to be called, Both passed away years ago, so their letters, which were written between 1949 and 1951, are being read by their dear friend, Carl Weinberg, and their daughter, Tracy. Today on East Bay Yesterday, how a stack of old letters in a dusty box in the back of a closet helped transform a family. I'm your host, Liam O'Donohue. Stay tuned. So let's just start by, if you can tell me your names and where you're from, and maybe like a little overview of your family history, because I know you guys go pretty deep here. And you can go like one at a time, whoever wants to. I'll go. Uh, Mark Hertz, I'm 64 years old. Born in Oakland, California, 1956. Uh, grew up in Oakland for about a year or two, and then moved to Concord and lived most of my life in Concord, up through marriage, and then just sort of scattered around between Pittsburgh and Walla Creek, and worked for my father, who was a, a landscaper, and then eventually took over my dad's business. You know, um, and then my, my dad passed away in 1980, and I had to give up his business, and then I ended up working for the Park District a uh, few years after that, and had worked for the Park District for 30, for almost 30 years. And you were at Tilden most of the time? At, I was at Point Pinole for one year, and then became the only park ranger for Tilden nature area. My name is Ossie Holcomb, uh, 34 years old born in 1987 um, in Walnut Creek. Spent a lot of my childhood in Tilden Park at the residence. 
that was the main part of my childhood. And then, yeah, after Berkeley, we went to Antioch and then went on my own. So then kind of went around the East Bay as far as Martinez, Concord, Pittsburgh. And then I was married in 2007 um, for a few years and then got divorced and now up in the Sierra Mountains in Alta. Back in 2015, Mark Hertz was at his mom's house getting the Christmas decorations out of a closet when he noticed a faded green footlocker way in the back. He knew that the locker belonged to his dad, Ray, and that it probably hadn't been opened in a long time, decades. Mark assumed it was stuff from his dad's army days. He'd always meant to check it out, but had never gotten around to it. That day, however, something felt different. Something told him, now, now's the time. So he got permission from his mom, Jenny, to bring the trunk out to the garage and open it. Mark and his daughter, Aussie, weren't really getting along at the time. So maybe he was just trying to be friendly, but he invited her out to the garage to take a look with him. When Mark and Aussie opened the footlocker, underneath the army uniform and the Boy Scout medals, there was something that neither of them was expecting. Even Ginny had forgotten about it. There was a large shoebox filled with more than a hundred letters. It was a huge moment in my life because I, I was recently divorced and just had my own apartment. I was becoming my own independent person and trying to figure out what I wanted in my next relationship or in a husband. And um, so it was great reading these love letters and just forgetting about my stupid dates or whatever I had and and then reading Grandpa Ray's the way he talked to my grandma in the letters um, because my version of Grandpa Ray that I you know I never knew him but I just knew it from my dad of like he was a strict father and and you know just all these strict rules and stuff and so he was very flirty with my grandma very very sweet and mm -hmm. um, a gentleman and all these characteristics, I was like, man, I want to find that in a husband. <laughs> so I would just get lost in these letters at night with their love life and yeah, and just kind of reorganizing what my, my priorities could be. Dear Brown Eyes, a warm night, beautiful sunset, Outline of mountains, good music, a can of beer, but no sweet girl like you. Honey, I miss you. I wish you were here to enjoy all this with me. Well, someday, huh? The person you just heard reading Ray's letter, his name is Carl Weinberg. He's the one who set Ray and Ginny up on their first blind date back in 1949. Ray was 21. And Ginny was 18, still living at home with her parents, not far from Lake Merritt. They hit it off right away, but just as things were heating up, Ray had to leave town for a summer job with the Forest Service. For the next three months, he'd be living in a ranger station, fighting fires, while she'd be working for the phone company back in Oakland, more than 350 miles away. From the moment they parted, they started writing each other letters almost every single day. My dad asked Diane if it was serious between you and I. Diane just said that she didn't know. 
So my dad said that if Diane doesn't know, then no one else would. I know they like you an awful lot, but it couldn't possibly be as much as I do. At Ray's ranger station, there was no phone. Remember, he was out in the woods. So the letters were their only form of communication. And if writing almost every day sounds like a lot, think about it. If a young couple today were separated for three months, would it seem odd if they texted or FaceTimed every day, even multiple times a day? Not really. In some ways, this distance probably strengthened Ray and Ginny's relationship. All that pent-up desire over those long months apart. When they finally saw each other again, the excitement must have been a powerful rush. But, of course, to build up all that anticipation, first, they had to wait. And the waiting could feel like torture, especially when the mail slowed down. I do still love you. I hope you haven't changed your mind. No mail for five days makes a guy wonder. Good night, sweet. No hard feelings. All my love, Ray. There's some parts of the letters where you feel like it's like a million miles away and so long ago, but then there are certain passages where he describes the beauty of being up in the Northern California mountains, the trees, the lakes, seeing animals, the flowers. And as someone who loves camping and backpacking and has spent a decent amount of time up there, I was like, oh, I can like picture this so easily. Cause like when you step out of the tent and you look out and see it, it's like the the mist is rising. you know, That's just really same. that doesn't change. Exactly. Nature doesn't change. And the other crazy thing that doesn't change is the fires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me about like how you feel when you're reading oh, him fighting God. fires back then, and then looking out the window, you know, last summer and seeing all the I, smoke coming? Yeah. Out. I can't imagine what they used to go through. You know, uh, the fires coming, so you're you're laying down on the rock bed as the fire goes over you, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That was that was. A, a memory that he had. And at, the, at that time, it's, you know, basically man versus fire. Yeah. And maybe a water truck, because he, he, I have pictures of him standing in front of a water truck. His tanker. He had a His tanker. tanker. Yeah. yeah. He liked but now you have the tanker, you know, ground tankers, air tankers. Mm-hmm. You have many yeah. ways to fight a fire. But back then, it definitely was hard. And dangerous. And hard fewer and men, dangerous. too. I mean, definitely fewer men, I'm mm. sure. Well, we went on our first big fire today. Half of New Pine Creek burnt down. New Pine Creek is on the Oregon-California border. Bob Hayes, Babe, Bob Kay, and I are still working on our fence when we got a call about 11.30 to report on the fire as soon as possible. Bob Kay and I took the tanker while Bob and Babe went on the pickup. Our tanker was the first fire truck there. The main grocery store was pretty well ablaze. Bob and I soaked all the buildings around the fire down. It was hotter than hell. I got a burn on my left arm, but it's okay. We stayed on the fire for about four hours. What a mess we were. Through the course of the fire, there were 10 fire trucks on the scene. I knew the folks that owned the store. They are swell people. Their small son was burnt pretty bad. The store was also a post office for our mail. Maybe the letters I mailed last night were lost. A grocery store, two garages, 
a small house, two new cars, and a truck were lost in the fire. That was half the town. After the fire, the ranchers served all the beer and sandwiches we could eat and drink. When Ray wasn't fighting fires, he was doing maintenance work, fixing equipment, clearing brush. It was hard, but he loved being in nature. On his days off, he'd drink beers down at the reservoir with co-workers. Maybe they'd play cards. Sometimes they'd go into a tiny nearby town called Alturas to catch a rodeo or a dance. Meanwhile, Ginny was back in Oakland, hanging out with her friends, sunbathing, playing bridge, drinking cocktails, and working at her job, which it wasn't fighting fires, but <laughs> it must have been crazy in a different kind of way. I feel like younger people probably have no idea what a telephone operator did. Mm-hmm. Can you describe yes. that at all? I, I mean, I feel like my... Switchboard. I'm yeah. still switchboard. a little unclear yeah, about ba- it either. Yeah, pretty much there's a whole bank of phone switchboard, and as a call comes in, you take the wire, plug it into the wall, and you're connecting to somebody else. So was it like one of those so things like where if you call, were calling me, call you would you, have I to... I would call Ginny and say, hey, uh-huh. Ginny, can you, can you connect me to Liam? And mm-hmm. then she would... <laughs> Fine. And then in the next hour, if I still needed to find you, hey, Jenny, can you connect me to Leah? Can you, you know? The and operators it, must have knew everyone in town. Exactly. Right. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And people are like, where's my husband? You got to find him. It's yeah. like, lady, I'm just the operator. <laughs> she loved that job, too. Yeah. 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 Just getting back to like the process of reading the letters, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about that. You said you didn't know, you had never met, or you didn't remember your grandfather. Mm-hmm. Obviously you did know your grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, she only passed away a couple years ago, right? Yeah, and it was interesting, she, my whole life she's been very quiet. You know, we have our family traditions, we set up her Christmas tree every Christmas, we had Easter every Easter, but grandma just didn't talk a lot. None of us really talked about Grandpa Ray. And so me and my cousins were like, why, why is that, you know? Um, we, and Ray was obviously very strong in our family because a lot of us have Ray in our name. We we're all named after him some way or another. And uh, my grandma never remarried. So something was, something was solid there. <laughs> and we didn't quite know what it was. And that's when I kind of started asking questions about who Grandpa Ray was. And so it was... It was really, it was really nice getting into these letters and finding out um, this other lifestyle that they had, you know, before they had kids and before they were married, when they could just be themselves and enjoy it. Honey, my stomach is aching for more chocolate chip cookies. They would taste good. Just a nonchalant hint. Make your boyfriend happy, love Ray. You mentioned like coming across these little phrases and things like that. <laughs> there are <laughs> there are some funny little like themes or kind of like questions that are yes. repeated throughout so many of the uh, the letters. Like um, Ray is constantly asking Ginny about like is she putting on weight? Yes, <laughs> yes. She was very tell, tiny. T- okay, she tell such, me about that. Yeah, she was such a tiny woman. Always had been, mm-hmm. you know, pushing a hundred pounds maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was. That was her big thing: is she needed to gain weight. Um, and I remember in one of the letters in 1950 that year, she was like, 
All right, Ray, I almost ate a whole loaf of bread today. <laughs> it was just surprising to me because I, I feel like there's this stereotype, you know, especially from that generation of like women always trying to be skinnier, you yeah. know, and then yeah. this was like the opposite. And she was skinny and she just needed to, yeah, uh-huh. And she was the brown-eyed girl with the bangs. Um, and that was one thing that he wanted when setting up the blind date, he wanted a girl with bangs. So he was always checking in with her if she ever got a haircut. He said, you better still have those bangs. <laughs> and she would, once in a while, she'd cut them loose. Sometimes she'd grow them back. But um, yeah, it was the bangs and the brown eyes. And then they started counting things in their letters. Um, they'd say, all right, it's been 14 times. And then the next letter, it's been mm -hmm. 21 times. And I'm like, man, what are they <laughs> counting? Because yeah. I know they're not hanging out, so they're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really, I think it's how many times Ginny said I love you to Ray in a letter. Mm -hmm. I think is what I've, right. what I've, yeah. That's what they counted was how many times she said I love you to him in a letter. Sentimental me. Guess I'll always be. Honey, how much do you love me? Any more than when I left? I'm listening to Sentimental Me, and I sure wish I was near you. I miss your love. Honest, I do. How about you? Do you still have your bangs? Tell me how much you weigh now. I'll bet you're putting on weight with eating chickens and all. Keep it up. I guess I better throw my picture away of Marilyn Monroe. I have it pinned up in my locker. She's my third love. You are my first and second. Now I'm getting silly. Time for bed. Night for now. All my love, Ray. Well, honey, know something? I love you an awful lot. Yes, I do. 20 and a half times, and you're way behind me. Shall we make it 40 or 50, and then we'll get married? <laughs> Sending love and kisses, Jenny. I'm in love with you, say you love me too, me. One thing I noticed while reading these letters is that Ray fell for Jenny a lot faster than she fell for him. She even went on a few dates with another guy during their first summer apart. Ray didn't disapprove, but reading between the lines, I could tell how nervous he was by how many question marks he used after writing the phrase, do you love me? When things were going smooth, one or two question marks would suffice. Do you love me? If Jenny hadn't written in a few days, sometimes there would be four, even five. But for the most part, he didn't come across as desperate. Now I must ask you about the letter I received Monday. I hope you aren't bored about everything. You know I still love you and always will. But if you feel you want to go out with someone else, you're entitled to do it. I know how you feel being home and not having fun like we had together. Maybe I should have never left home. I just hope we stick together like a stamp to a letter 
after this summer. About that remark I made about gambling, I'll try and explain myself. I guess we both feel that maybe we are gambling or taking a chance. But as time goes on, it becomes less of a gamble and more of a sure thing. I know that I feel that way. We are both mixed up at first, but we took a chance at the beginning and were willing to because we knew that whatever might have happened, we would have gained either way. But now it's been proven to us that it wasn't a gamble, but the thing that we wanted to do. When it comes down to it, life is really a gamble. Does that straighten it out or mix you up more? P.S. I got a kick out of what you said about sticking together like a stamp on a letter because when I came home today, the letter was on my dresser, but the stamp had fallen off while it was in the mail. What does that mean? Reading these letters reminded me that even though falling in love was the most wonderful experience of my life, I never, ever want to go through that again. I've been happily married for about 13 years now, and of course, you know, we've had some ups and downs, but nothing compares to the emotional whiplash of young, fresh, new love. One minute, you're floating on clouds. The next, you feel like you're getting your guts kicked out. Honey, please don't fall out of love. While up here, I think of you constantly, and I miss you more than you think. Please keep writing me as often as you can. I live for those letters to come up. Being away from you is driving me crazy. I hope nothing will ever happen between you and I. Please wait for me. I do have all my naughty love safe for you. I'm nuts, huh? Altitude, I guess, is getting to me. of Korea, mountainous and forbidding, lies beneath a blanket of clouds as dirty weather hampers efforts of U.S. airmen to aid the defenders of South Korea against the communist invasion. At the Han River line, southeast of the capital... It sure doesn't look too good about the Korean situation. The draft is what worries me. The only way to get out of it is to get married. But I think that's rather a nice idea. Well, honey, it's midnight. Time to dream of you. During the height of the Korean War, Ray Hertz was drafted into the Army. He did his two years of service as part of the Signal Corps, which handles military communications. He was stationed in Georgia. While Ray was on leave in September 1951, he came back to Oakland, married Ginny, and the couple returned to Georgia as newlyweds. The very last letter that Aussie found in the shoebox was written two weeks before the wedding. One of the things that's in these letters is um, he's kind of trying to decide what to do with his future. He's like, should I go back to school? Should I get this job? We know, should I keep going back to the forest service? So 
if you're trying to kind of like summarize then like how he comes to this career path, mm -hmm. could you kind of like tell me about like that, that trajectory? So because he worked in, he was a signal corpsman, he did a lot of pole climbing, uh, setting up the signal towers. So when he left the uh, army, he ended up working for a tree company because he had the experience of climbing. From there, he went to working in nurseries uh, because I think he began to realize his love of nature, love of plants. So from there, he just he yeah. just started his own gardening business, mm. pretty much working out of a uh, back of a station wagon, and then eventually moved into uh, commercial maintenance and then landscaping. Everything that Ray and Ginny fantasized about in those letters, it all came true. After the marriage came four kids. Mark was the second. Also a cat, a dog, other pets. And they didn't have to write anymore because they lived in the same house out in the burbs. No more wistful longing. No more five question marks. Ginny and Ray put the letters in the back of a closet. And it seems like they put a part of themselves away in that box too. Did he ever talk to you about the, the forestry years, the forest service years when... No, not at all. No, we didn't, for whatever reason, we didn't really talk about his, Pat, his, his early days, you know, his early life at all. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know why. Mm -hmm. yep. Is there anything you know about his life even earlier, you know, like when he was a teenager or young boy? Uh, I mean, the only thing that I can recall him saying is just, you know, he had a strict father, but I think that's just sort of the German, the German way. Ray and Ginny's life together was good, but it wasn't easy. Besides the landscaping business, Ray had a night job teaching at Diablo Valley College. He also smoked and, like most men of his generation, probably never heard the word cholesterol. Ray was just 51 when he died of a heart attack in 1980. His son, Mark, was 23, and his granddaughter, Aussie, wouldn't be born for seven more years. Even though she never met her grandfather, Aussie carries around a tribute to Ray everywhere she goes in the form of her middle name, Rachel. And Mark, he bears an even more visible reminder of his dad's legacy. What, what is that on your arm there? You just, oh, so that's a tattoo of your father. Father with the word honor and faith and a tattoo of Half Dome, which is another story about my dad. Um, but just, just to realize, uh, and, and having only one child, Aussie being the only child, that I, I wanted her to understand what it meant to have a dad. Uh, because our relationship had been pre previously strained. Uh, so because of this, and it, it, it took a while, I mean, a short period of time after the box, that we opened the box up, that our relationship started, boy, it just started gelling. It started coming together. And I am so proud of her because of her wanting to take this project on of just reading the letters. I mean, that, that to me is just, it, I'm just in awe of that that she's wanting to find out history about somebody that she never met and has only seen through pictures or through what I had, had told her about. And so my relationship with my dad has become stronger 
And then my relationship with my daughter has grown immensely because of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my impact is just that's that thing. That's the big word is what these letters have impacted me and my dad's relationship, me and Grandma Jenny, me rediscovering Grandpa Ray, how it's impacted my marriage and just. It's as uh, if the letters ignited something in quite a few people. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the love that's in these letters is kind of contagious. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it is it is a true, strong love of back then where you hung on to letters and and a and a portrait photograph is all you had <laughs> of your loved ones of black and white and yeah when we did the interview for this episode it wasn't just Aussie and Mark in my backyard that day Aussie's stepdaughter from her second marriage was there and she also brought the newest member of the family it's so funny. I'm um, like you're telling the story, and I feel like I'm almost getting chills. You know, thinking about this connection that your grandparents had back then, and how they were writing these letters to um, solidify their relationship. And right as you're telling the story, we hear a little cry from the basket <laughs> underneath the table. And can you introduce this guy? Yeah, this is Tilden, my son. He's almost 11 months old, named after Tilden Park, obviously. The the great grandson. Yes, this is the great Ray Tilden and William Ray. William Ray Holcomb. <laughs> and with Step Bud. He, he wouldn't he wouldn't be here right now if all those letters hadn't been so nice no. and polite and exactly. uh, romantic. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He so three, three generations right here ta- talking about a fourth generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the grandparents. Yeah. No, I, I definitely loved the love story of these letters and to the extent where I I put them into my my vows on my wedding day. And <laughs> what did you um and that was a huge surprise <laughs> what part of uh the letters did you put in your vows your wedding vows dear virginia after all this i believe my love for you has become a love that you and i have been contemplating for i hope we can get together and be the happiest couple alive yes it will take more than this but we have taken a big step toward our goal of love. Yes, honey, I do love you and always will. Here it is 3 a.m. and feeling tired. I hope this straightens out our problems a little. Yours always, Ray. So I just, I opened up my vows with the story of me finding these letters and... (laughs) Take your time. Um, but I didn't, I didn't tell my dad that I was going to read the letter. Christy was there through the whole wedding planning and everything. Um, so yeah, it was just a special, a special and, moment. And it meant a lot to me to hear them, to know that even after all these years of reading letters, it still meant so much to her, to have her grandparents, even though they weren't there to be part of the... This is a very special moment in Ozzy's life. Three years later of reading the letters. So, Ozzy, where's your tattoo of of Grandpa Ray? I've got just his name, a little name and a star (laughs) on the inside of my left shoulder area, I guess. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So we all all have a piece of of dad. Yeah. (laughs) 
least, at least Aussie and I. Yep. Yeah, maybe Tilden will someday, huh? Yeah. Probably <laughs> give him a couple <laughs> years. Yeah, Tilden William Even though love can feel like the most powerful force in the universe, it doesn't physically exist. It's not something you can measure, like gravity. Sometimes when it's fading away, you don't even know you're losing it until it's too late. But on the other hand, you can never run out of love. Whenever you want it back, you can rebuild that love. You can repair that broken relationship if you put in the effort. Around the time that Mark and Aussie found those letters in the shoebox, their relationship, the love they'd once shared as father and daughter, it wasn't gone, but it was frayed pretty bad. Then they started reading about the love that brought them both into this world. That was the beginning of something, and I don't want to call it a process because <laughs> that sounds really boring. And if there's one thing love isn't, it's boring. You know what love is? It's an adventure. That's what these letters started for Mark and Aussie, an adventure. So tell me about finding the, the, the lookout tower. You know, this is kind of like a hunt. It was very much a hunt and we needed to do it before sundown, obviously, because yeah. um, we had to get back to our campground and we didn't really get too many good uh, directions from the rangers, but we, we drove our car and parked it at the bottom of the lookout tower. It had a big barbed wire fence around the whole thing, and then, I mean, clearing, you could see Mount Shasta. You, I mean, you could see Oregon, probably. And so I said, well, Dad, we gotta hop the fence. Or did you say it first? I'm really good at hopping fences, so I had no problem doing it. Right, I do, well, I said, it of course, being a dad, no, we shouldn't be hopping the fence. <laughs> they told us this would be trespassing. <laughs> I go, well, and dad, so, we're only going to be here once. And so it was like, Grandpa okay, Ray well, was already here. Yeah, it's why, part why of the not? family. Mm -hmm. He had to follow in his footsteps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we had every right <laughs> to be up there. And it was closed down. It was a closed down lookout tower because there had been so much vandalism done up mm -hmm. there. So they've already had problems of people breaking in and tearing it apart. This is from a letter that Ray wrote while he was stationed at a remote lookout tower in the forest outside of Alturas, California, on July 23rd, 1950. He'd already been up there for a few days, all by himself, when he wrote this. I don't think I could be any lonelier. Way up here at 7,300 feet, nobody to talk to or to even see. I haven't spoken a word out loud since I swore at the stake I burned. I need your cooking. That's all there is to it. The sooner the better. So, yeah, so I tell my dad we gotta hop the fence. And then I think he runs back to the car and grabs a towel. He goes, I know how to do this. <laughs> Throws a towel over the barbed wire part, over the, like where the gate would be. And so we both hop the fence. Easy peasy. Um, and then we just, you just stand there. I mean, it's so tall and the legs of it are, are huge. And I'm a gymnast, so I just wanted to climb and, you know, walk along the, 
the beams of it, and I mean, just a huge staircase. And just every step you take is, you gotta take, you gotta soak it all in every step. So we're climbing all these stairs, and then they've got the big board. Can we push it open? I don't know, can we? We're like, maybe it's locked, and it gave it a good push, I think, and we got it open mm -hmm. against the tower, and then, but it's all vandalized. It's all vandalized it's inside. You could tell all the, the wall, the wall boards are, have been pulled away. Uh, there's, the there's, there's nothing in there except yeah. for the compass station in the center of the room. Because um, I do have pictures of my dad standing on that balcony that surrounds the upper part of the tower. Mm -hmm. uh, all that was still intact. A lot of the, the window flaps, wooden window flaps, all still work. Aussie sent me a few pictures from this adventure. Photos of her and Mark standing at the railing of this ramshackle lookout tower. They're staring out at the forests and hills that seem to go on forever. Ray was just a young man, 21, when he was in the same spot, up in that lookout tower, feeling like the loneliest man in the world all those years ago. At that time, his future was just as open as the horizon around him. He never could have known that eventually his path would lead right back to the same place, from the deepest loneliness to the strongest love with lots of twists and turns along the way. But it's like Ginny said, life really is a gamble. Her and Ray took a risk, a big risk, when they opened up their hearts to each other. But the gamble paid off, and the love that they created still burns bright, even though their flames flickered out long ago. I'll never say never again, again, come on. Here I am in love again, head over heels in love again with you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of East Bay Yesterday. I've been your host, Liam O'Donoghue. Huge shout out for this episode goes out to Aussie and Mark and the whole family for letting me share your story. Uh, also, big thanks to everyone who supports this show through Patreon. Uh, I've been working on this episode on and off for the better part of a year, and I just simply wouldn't be able to do projects like this without your support. So um, thank you so much to everyone who's already supporting uh, East Bay Yesterday through Patreon. And if, uh, if anyone else out there wants to, you know, donate to support my ability to keep making new shows, go to eastbayyesterday.com, hit the donate link at the top of the page. Uh, another way to support the show is by coming on my historical boat tours of the bay. Those tours always sell out really fast. So the best way to find out when tickets go on sale is to sign up for my newsletter. You can find uh, that link at my website too. And uh, even if you can't afford support, but you still want to show some love, uh, you can spread the word about East Bay yesterday. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, make sure you tag me if you give the show a shout out. And I really appreciate and notice everyone who is uh, talking about the show on social media. It makes me so happy. Music for this episode came from Walter Houston, The Ravens, The Ames Brothers, Artie Shaw, 
and Dinah Shore. The theme song came from Anatech. And uh, that's just about going to do it. But before we go, uh, here's one more story from Carl Weinberg. Uh, he told me this after uh, he read the letters that I brought that Ray wrote. And uh, it's just a, a happy memory of his from uh, going camping up in the Sierra back in the day with um, Ray and Ginny. So here we go. Well, we went a lot of camp trips with Ginny and Ray and their kids. Well, one night Ray says, okay, you guys, everybody find a big stick. We are going bullfrog hunting. And we went to the pond where there's just huge bullfrogs up in the mountain. And he said, okay, you got the flashlight. You shine it in the bullfrog's eyes and don't let the eyes get away from the flashlight because that immobilizes the frog. You with the stick hit the frog and put it in the burlap sack. So we, we got, I don't know, 15, 20 bullfrogs. The morning we woke up after sleeping all night in the tents, Ginny's cooking frog legs. We had frog legs for breakfast <laughs> with all the kids that we had bashed the night before out of this pond. How did they taste? It tasted just like everything else, chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> we all ate. Fresh Ginny, forage Ginny, frog legs. And Ginny knew exactly how to fix them. They were wow. excellent. Wow, they were really that good. Is, that's some down-home cooking right there. That's right. <laughs>